Week one is officially in the books, and I've got my rapid reactions. I'll discuss how I screwed up my cash lineup, some alpha I found in the Superflex contest, and break down some Rainmakers lineups and what I learned. And then I'll quickly go through each NFL team and give my thoughts on the most noteworthy info for each one. It is time to kick off the DraftKings football show right now. Welcome back to the DraftKings Football Show, hosted in partnership with our partners, DraftKings. Hi, we are back. It is, oof. first off, it is great to have football back. Spent so much of yesterday just sitting on the couch watching seven hours of commercial-free football. I absolutely enjoyed myself. But uh, yeah, made some choices. Need to take my medicine now. So I will dive into that for people who... Uh, Ended up scooping my head-to-heads, my cash game lineups. Congratulations. I got a feeling you profited because it was a rough week. It was a rough week. So for those who uh, were you know, thinking through, it really came down for DraftKings, in my mind, to two core lineups you've got. And it, it was a 2v2. So I'll start off with it was a Jalen Hurts, Raheem Mostert, Jamal Williams, Tyree Kill, Jamar Chase, Calvin Ridley, Isaiah Likely, Marvin Mims, and the Commanders. And the 2v2 off of that was Jalen Hurts to Anthony Richardson and Calvin Ridley to Justin Jefferson. Now, when I think through the rest of it, you had Raheem Mostert, Devin A. Chain declared out. We're expecting Mostert to get the primarily, you know, pretty much majority of that work on a high-powered, high-scoring offensive game. Jamal Williams, similar situation. Kendra Miller out. Expect him to get the entire, entire backfield. From a wide receiver-wise, Tyreek Hill, we loved Jamar Chase. We loved Marvin Mims was just a, hey, you got to go down to 3K without Jerry Judy. We expect Marvin Mims to get a little play. Those were, and then Isaiah likely as well, once Mark Andrews was ruled out. Um, And Commanders going against Arizona, Josh Dobbs hasn't even been in the entire preseason. Like all those plays felt pretty easy picks. You could have done some slight variation. I tried to get up to Justin Jefferson and some others. Um, but those all made a lot of sense. So for me, it really came down to that 2v2. And uh, I mean, it's crazy. You guys know I'm so high on Anthony Richardson. It's amazing that I didn't end up with Anthony Richardson, but I was thinking through these two, looking at projections and such. And I kind of just said, like, I think this is extremely close. And I think that's going to, both are going to be pretty high owned. I'm heavy on Anthony Richardson. If I still think it's close, maybe that's because I'm biased towards the Anthony Richardson and I really should be going up for the Jalen Hurts. Uh, I know Justin Jefferson is an absolute beast, no question, but everything we've seen from Calvin Ridley is that he is also that alpha, and I didn't think the gap was that much, and I was like, you know what? We know who Jalen Hurts is. We know the upside he has. We know Anthony Richardson. I considered Anthony Richardson had a solid floor, um, but probably didn't expect the levels of efficiency and what Shane Steichen was able to do for that team. But when it came down for me, I was like, okay, these two lineups I think are going to be pretty chalky. What can I do to potentially get off of that shock while leaving myself some late door swap equity? And that's what I think so much about the cash game today is coming down to is identifying where the chalk lineups are going to be and identifying where you can get yourself late game equity. And so if I think through this from like a process wise, let's say that you have, hey, two lineups that you think they're 50-50, maybe even one is 52-48, 55-45. And you're saying, okay, I expect the majority of people, a large amount to be on this one lineup. I want to give myself two shots to beat that lineup. 
So if you choose the lineup that is that 48, well, 48% of the time, you're going to beat that lineup already on its own. And the majority of people are not swapping off of it. They're not making any changes. So in that case that that 48 happens, you've already won. That's awesome. So now 48% of the time, you're, you're, you're winning. Now, the other times, the 52, if you can leave yourself with an option where you know where your leverage is, and so in those early games, you've lost that 1v1, that 2v2, whatever it is, you now leave yourself with options in the um, near the, uh, you know, in the late games where in those cases that you've lost the early games, you can then still get back some equity. So in those cases, let's say it's a hey, 52% of the time, you're going to lose that 1v1. And in those situations, if you can leave yourself a late swap, so Marvin Mims, for example, we'll talk through now, maybe you only win that next late swap 45% of the time, 40% of the time, but if you're winning 40% of that second, that's 40% of 40 uh, of 52% of the times, you're now leaving yourself with an extra 20% of equity. So now you went from that 48% chance of winning, you've just gained another 20% of equity here to give yourself a 68% chance of winning those uh, of beating that chalk lineup. It's a lot of math there. I'll try to use an example here to kind of explain, but at the end of the day, we're trying to figure out how can we give ourselves the most opportunities to win. And so when that process came in, I was like, okay, I think these two lineups are very close. I kind of like the Jalen Hurts, Calvin Ridley one. But then I realized that, you know what? There's an Alexander Madison swap off of the Calvin Ridley where you're only giving up about a half a point, maybe a point at most of equity of projections there. And I think that was pretty much a coin flip. So that's the example where, you know what? I think Madison versus Ridley, maybe I was a 48 to 52 dog if you're choosing Madison. This is, you know, it's Alexander Madison. It's getting the entire backfield to himself. That's playing a team, you know, against the box. They should we expect them to win fairly easily, four point favorites. Um, and knowing that in the late games, you'd have that Marvin Mims in the flex spot where you could get a swap to someone like Jaden Reed. It gave us that optionality. And so going in, I was like, okay, I think these three lineups are all very close together. I'm expecting a lot of people to be on this Jalen Hurts one and the Anthony Richardson one. So let me go and play that one with Madison, which gives me equity. And if Madison beats Ridley, I can pretty much just, hey, sit in my hands and enjoy that I've likely won because not enough people are going to be a take advantage of late swap to really fight back against it. Um, or in the case what happened, Calvin Ridley had a great game. Alexander Madison did not do much. I could now make that late swap. Okay. So that was the thought process. I think overall, I think it's still a strong thought process. Uh, maybe, you know what, I maybe the mistake, if, if there was a mistake, the mistake was that I didn't just lean into the Anthony Richardson and getting up to Justin Jefferson. Uh, that was the lineup that ended up cashing the most. And I get it. Like Anthony Richardson has such, I mean, <laughs> it's all the positive points that I've been saying all offseason about Anthony Richardson that I kind of dismissed. I thought I was too biased. It is what it is. The next point is, okay, so now our lineup, Raheem, uh, Jamal Williams does not do much. Jamar Chase has an absolute dud. Isaiah likely has an absolute dud. And Alexander Madison, instead of the Calvin Ridley, he gave up, I think it was on 13 points to Calvin Ridley. So now I was in a situation where I know I needed to swap, but also I was fighting against the Anthony Richardson. And if you look at how um, what the ownership was on these, I believe it was 29% of teams in the large field uh, $5 had the $5 50-50s went with that Anthony Richardson team and only 9%, still decent amount, 9% went with that Jalen Hurts. But because of the way the early games went, how well Anthony Richardson did, 
I knew that I needed to kind of get off as much as possible of that train, get unique. And I found a team that allowed me to get off of Tyreek Hill, get off of Raheem Mostert, get off of Marvin Mims, and I'd be giving up about a point and a half of equity. And so I did that by taking Aaron Jones, Jalen Waddell, and um, the last one, I went with Tutu Atwell. You could have gone Tutu, you could have gone Kendrick Bourne, you could have gone Puka. That one gave me leverage with Jalen Waddell off of the Raheem Mostert and the Tyree Kill and Aaron Jones with substantial upside there. Um, and then getting off of the 3K Marvin Mims for just someone else. I think that again, I was, you know, hey, hands were tied behind my back. It was already in a difficult situation. Had to take a chance. Obviously, Tyree Kill had an absolutely epic game. And uh, that team, I think from an overall swap, I lost, I think, four points in the total swap. Um, but overall, my team scored 115. If I hadn't made that swap at all and just stuck with my original, it would have been 119. Again, obviously, that is the Madison losing to Ridley was a major hurt. The team that was Jalen Hurts and Ridley went 132.7, still missed the cash line at 139.92. And if you did go with the Anthony Richardson team, you probably cashed in the majority of your 50-50s because that beat the cash line by about a point. Um, or in some tournaments, it might have been right on the cash line and you got a partial cash back because I said around 29% of teams were using it. All right, so that's where we stand with my cash lineup for the day. Um, I think from a process, it was okay. I think my mistake was probably more of a football one and not leaning with my gut and trusting Anthony Richardson not, you know, just hey, something that I've been on all off season and then getting off of it because I thought I was too biased. It's rough. It's diff difficult. It's disappointing. Um, but the reason why I did it, I'm going to continue to continue to continue to throughout this year, look for these late swap equities where I'm only giving up a very small percent of projected points, but giving myself those additional back doors throughout the year. I think honestly, that is the number one, uh, kind of edge that is in cash games right now when you see what we said 29 plus 9 38 percent almost more than a third almost half the teams were on two lineups if you can find ways and you know this is happening to get leverage in those late games off of those when you're doing well you you stick with it when you lose that early kind of leverage then you give yourself that second shot that is what i want to be aiming for all right, elsewhere on DraftKings, they had a new format, Superflex. No defense, extra Superflex spot. Um, ran a tournament there that had around, I think, 13,000, 14,000. I think around, around 13, 14,000 entries. Don't have the exact numbers in front of me right now. I'm looking to see if I still... Oh, there we go. Okay, I do have the spreadsheet. Um, yeah, just under 13,000 lineups for that one. Pretty solid tournament. And I win it, you know, I, as I said in my last pod, I'm not normally a 150 max GPP -er. Um, I don't think I normally have that much of an edge from a sim standpoint, but in this tournament, new game styles, that is my specialty. I love kind of diving in and trying to figure out what is the edge? What are the kind of game mechanics here that other people aren't seeing? And so I made a hypothesis that I have an edge here that stacking QBs from the opposing games is an edge. And that, so what I did is I went 150 and every single lineup, my super flex was the QB in the same game as my primary QB. I used some rules that show that they would always have stacks. So really I was playing just for these kind of shootout games where we know that QBs correlate together. So especially in games where one QB does very well, it's often that the other QB does as well. If you're also getting their pass catchers in there as well, we're getting just, uh, we're getting a lot of correlative value in there. 
What I didn't do, and maybe I should have, is mixed in more of the running backs in those teams as well. So, for example, in that Tua game, I had a bunch of Tua Tyreek and a bunch of Herbert, but the Herbert was mixed in with like Mike Williams and Keenan Allen and such, when really Eckler was the one who had the big game there. I got to think through a little more kind of how I want to build out my game stacks, but my overall thesis was, one, I don't think enough people are going to be doing the two QBs in the same game stacking, and two, that this is a value add opportunity by doing that. I still feel strongly about the second, all the data we've seen around the correlation of the two. And if you get the right games, the shootouts, I think that structure is just, you know, is pivotal. Um, and to the second, to the first thing about are people doing this, I looked, you know, hey, did a download of the CSV to see how many people actually were. And outside of my lineups, only 12.6% of lineups played both QBs in the same game. That is remarkably low. I would be willing to bet a substantial amount of money that if they continue running the super flex and we see this by the end of the year, that number is going to continue to rise. Um, I think that should be at least a quarter of the lineups having the same QBs from the same game, if not more. Uh, so, hey, just, you know, I don't think anyone is talking about this. It is just, there was just one tournament. It is, you know, hey, there it's just not enough for like sites to be focusing a lot of content on it at this point right now. So if you are listening, you are getting substantial edge here, I think. And uh, hey, if you want to join in there with me, let's do it. Uh, if I don't win, hopefully one of you guys do. And uh, these are the kind of things where like, you know, I, I think this is a legitimate edge. I'm going to lean into it and I'm happy to share with people who are listening to this too. Uh, my top lineup got 11th place. It was a Trevor Lawrence, Anthony Richardson one. Um, it had some, it had Eckler as well. It was a pretty solid lineup. It did not, you know, crack the top. I think you really needed to um, get, you needed to have that kind of Tua Tyreek with some of the wide receivers and I mean, with maybe that running back in Eckler or something like that. Hey, still pretty happy with all the plays. Got majority of my money back. I'm going to come back at it next week. Uh, from Rainmakers, nothing too special for me here, but I think the big learning that I had, and so I'm still new to Rainmakers, Rainmakers, so like I'm going to be continuing to learn throughout this year, and I'll share what I learned. But the biggest thing that I learned is that in showdown lineups, you can play a defense three times. As long as you're using different players, you can play that same defense in the same lineup up to three of the four showdown slots, and uh, this is unheard of in other parts of DFS because if I could, if, if you could tell me that I could just play uh, Tyree Kill in every single one of my lineups, I would do it every time, or I do it for the same player because in the case that that one player does go off and is the top scoring, you don't need anything else to go right. You just got that one thing, and everything. Like when we talk about correlation, there's literally a perfect one-to-one -one correlation. Obviously, if you have the same exact player going, and so in this case, that Dallas New York Giants game last night, if you played three Dallas players. You were getting the absolute nuts just going off on three of your spots, the exact same score, and then you just had to pick someone from the Giants. So if you looked at the main, um, I looked at the rare one for last night for the for the showdown, and three the, the top thirteen lineups all use this strategy of three different defensive players of the Cowboys and then one random Giant, and that finished nearly you know, that, that finished clearly at the top. Um, I'm shocked that this is allowed. But knowing that it is, and now other obviously other people already knew that, uh, this is definitely something that should be leveraged because the defensive players are so cheap in the marketplace. Uh, this doesn't work in non-showdown. You know, the play is to do it in the showdown ones. Uh, I guess you still could. No, nah, you can't do it in the others because you got to go by position and stuff. Um, so the key here is like, hey, in those showdown ones, um, just 
I don't know. There's no reason not to do it. Like it's going to, there's going to be enough games where defenses just put up a ton of points. Maybe you get unique and you go two of them. Um, I think if you go three, you got to figure out who is on the opposite side. I saw some people trying to go with Graham Gano. I don't like that because tight, because in the situations like last night where a defense is really well, gets a shootout, a shutout, a kicker doesn't get any points. You could go a defensive player. I don't think that's horrible. It could just be a really ugly game. Uh, I think I personally like wide receivers the most because wide receivers can still catch passes and get points that way without putting points on the board, but something to consider there. Um, yeah. And then I think that also means that for these showdown ones, if you aren't going with this two or three DST strategy, you probably shouldn't put any DSTs in there if you can avoid it, because if they have a mega game, well, you don't do well. And if they have a great game, well, Hey, someone else is maximizing that value by playing two or three of them. Um, so it is what it is there. Okay, um, and if you are new to Rainmakers, they do still have starter packs available, so free starter packs to get your collection going. So um, I'm going to continue to kind of be talking through my Rainmakers lineups through kind of things I learned throughout this year. So if you're interested there and to get to get, you know, to get started at a free entry point, they do have free starter packs still available. I think everyone here uses uh, DK, but if you're not, you could still obviously use promo code OTM, and uh, we, we appreciate that. Okay. Now, let's go team by team. Uh, there's a lot of stuff here. I'm going to be just going focusing on the most important highlight information. If you're more of a reader, I also put out a Twitter thread Monday morning this morning as well. So you can check that out. But I'm just going to go line by line and just really focus on those most important things. So starting off Baltimore, unfortunately, J.K. Dobbins torn Achilles. Very sad to see. I think we can expect that Justice Hill and Gus Edwards uh, we'll split it, but we're still going to favor Hill. They also signed Melvin Gordon back from the practice squad after we saw him on their team in the preseason. Um, it's going to be it's going to be pretty ugly. Uh, none of those guys have the levels of efficiency that um, that J.K. Dobbins had. The, kind of the burst, the big playability. So this is going to be a major hit for that team. Hopefully they can survive it. I don't know. Maybe Kareem Hunt. Maybe Leonard Fournette gets looked at, but. If they're not even getting a consideration here, uh, it might be time to kind of put the nails in those coffins for Kareem Hunt and Leonard Fournette. We'll see. Uh, best news for the Ravens was Zay Flowers, clear number one wide receiver there. Obviously no Andrews, but even with Andrews back, I expect Zay Flowers to keep this. He went nine for 78, also had two rushes. Um, we've been saying like, hey, you draft Bateman, you draft Zay Flowers, because we expect one of them to have a chance to be that alpha. And that it is clear Zay Flowers is an alpha. It is going to be fun to watch this connection throughout the year. As Zay Flowers said after the game, the game has slowed down for him and next week will be even better. I don't doubt it. Playing against Houston. Uh, for Houston, uh, Damian Pierce saw about 60% of the work. Singletary saw the majority of the rest. I think Singletary will continue to be a thorn in Damian Pierce. Uh, in you know preseason, we started seeing Pierce take more third down work, um, but and I think that's fine. But we're still expecting hey Singletary is going to be playing maybe one every three drives or so from a passing game. It was highly concentrated between Nico Collins and Robert Woods. They saw 22 of the 43 targets, just over 50% of the targets. Um, I don't think there's going to be much here from a fantasy wise throughout the year. CJ Stroud, the best news for Houston is that he looked kind of competent. Like I think he's going to continue to develop, but there's just not going to be much fantasy goodness on this team, unfortunately, um, unless maybe we see some injuries and even more concentration, but it is what it is. Cincy. Oh gosh. Um, I think I got to ignore this game. Like maybe it was the weather. Maybe it was Burrow not healthy. I really don't know. Um, but like, I mean, Cleveland's got a good defense. I think that's probably the biggest takeaway from this game is that that defense, Miles Garrett, like looked really good. Um, 
but yeah, for the Bengals, I think in the passing game with the Burrow, with the pass catchers, I think we just got to ignore it. Wait till next week from a running back positional. Uh, Mixon got the most work as expected. Travion Williams and Chris Evans both got in the game pretty early and took some early work. But if you look at the overall aspects, like Mixon really was that kind of more bell cow workhorse. Um, so I think that's positive news for Mixon. We'll see how much Travion and Chris Evans are worked in throughout the year. Cleveland, uh, Deshaun Watson did not look good. Um, he was inaccurate. He was under throwing like, yeah, it was, it was really tough. Um, so if you're a Browns fan, I think like you can be quite happy with the way that things looked for your defense. Obviously getting the win is nice, but, um, I would have some substantial concerns about Deshaun Watson. Um, yeah. Run game was effective as usual. Was interesting is Jerome Ford had 15 carries, did not do much with them, but, uh, had a substantial workload and, well, I'll have to look to see. Like, I didn't think they were that much like substantially in garbage time either. So I felt like we saw Jerome Ford kind of throughout that game. We'll see how much usage he gets throughout the year. Nick Chubb also started the game off with four targets uh, very early in the game. Um, you know, we don't want to overact to one game, but um, I think this, you know, the way that I th see this offense going is it's going to be a run first team. Um, Deshaun Watson how much he struggled, whether or not that was a just uh, outlier or the team actually knows it. Not that most, not, not the most surprising. If I was to tell you that, Hey, this team is going to have a strong defense and a good run game. And that's how they're going to win games. Um, Mari Cooper, Elijah Moore, Donovan, people, Jones, they're going to have some good games, but uh, yeah, it's it, Amari Cooper may have been a bit overdrafted if we're still considering when he was drafting that end of the third round. All right, moving on to the Bucks. Uh, big upset on the road here, despite that lopsided box, you know, big, uh, despite the lopsided box score. If you look at the yardage, um, that was for Kirk Cousins versus Baker Mayfield. You had Minnesota had 385 total yards, 344 in the air. And then Tampa only had 173 passing yards, 246 total. Um, it was a wonky game that Minnesota just could not convert points. You had some, you had some awkward turnovers. Uh, biggest thing for he me here is that that Bucks run D looks stout again. And then in the second half, they made some adjustments that showed substantial improvement in their secondary. Um, I don't really know what to think. That division is pretty easy between the Saints, Panthers, and Falcons. So, like, maybe they actually have a chance to be in contention just because, like, you know, like last year when they won it, like maybe nine wins gets you it. I'm not sure. Um, I still think they're going to struggle. I think they have very little depth. So if you have a couple injuries in that offensive line or what, one of the two wide receivers, uh, it's going to get a little ugly, but I think most, you know, the biggest news is this team is not going to be in the Caleb Williams sweepstakes as bucks. Some bucks fans may have actually been hoping on the other side of the ball, the Vikings, this is going to continue to be a fun team for fantasy. Their pass rate over expectation was second highest behind Pittsburgh on the week. Um, Maybe that had to do with it. They were not able to run against that Tampa defensive line. But uh, Justin Jefferson, Addison, Hawkinson, all going to have big games and should have enough volume for season-long consistency. Addison did play fewer snaps than K.J. Osborne, but I expect that to you know start moving the other way as the season goes. And Madison was definitely a workhorse. Saw it in the passing game, saw it as the primary back, but offensive line didn't give him any pulls. And uh, we'll see, was that... Are these more challenges with their offensive line? Is that more indicative of the front seven for Tampa? I'm not sure. We'll keep an eye. But um, yeah, big, big upset here. Minnesota, four-point favorite, losing at home. 
let's move on to the Titans now. So Tannehill, uh, he said it in this morning. He looked really bad. He was 16 of 34 for 198 yards and three interceptions. Uh, he was looking for Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins had second most targets on the day with 13 behind Tyree Hill. Brighter days are ahead for him just from a production and TDs if he's going to continue to get this volume. Uh, most interesting, Tyjay Spears placed more snaps than Derrick Henry on the day. Also had four targets. Um, maybe this is like the Titans, like, hey, we have an actual competent other, uh, you know, complimentary back in Tyjay Spears. Has a bit of a different skill set than Derrick Henry in that passing game. Derrick Henry got hurt last year. Maybe they want to decrease his usage. Um, we'll see. But uh, if if this is if, if we're going to continue to see this usage, uh, Derrick Henry not being used in the passing game, not getting as much volume as last year is a bit concerning. On the Saints side, uh, Derek Carr had a Derek Carr type game, just a very boring 23 of 33, 305 yards passing and a touchdown, also an interception. He spread the ball around a bunch. Um, if we look at the target split, um, it's not too shocking and kind of what we may expect going forward. You had Alave with 10, Michael Thomas with eight, Rashid Shahid with six, and Jawan Johnson with five. If you told me that was the target split, I'd be like, yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, Chris Olave did have a slight injury mid-game, but came up okay. Um, and so, I mean, Rashid Shahid was a shining moment in there. Yes, six targets, but did a lot with those targets. Looked really good. Still has that speed that we've seen la- that we saw last year in his rookie campaign. And uh, Jamal Williams, uh, yeah, that was tough. Looked nothing special back there. Um, Pirelli, if you know, if you're looking for, if you had Kendra Miller, if you're hoping Kendra Miller is going to play a bigger role when he gets back, the opportunity is going to be there. Uh, we'll see how quickly he recovers. But uh, Jamal Williams did not do anything to kind of cement his role in that backfield. He really seems like more a placeholder until Kendra and Alvin Kamara get back healthy. Staying in division, let's go to the Falcons. In true Arthur Smith fashion, this team dominated on the ground. Uh, and it wasn't just Bijan. Bijan did go 10 for 56 for one and six for 27 yards in the air. But then Tyler Algier went 15 carries to 72, 75 yards and two touchdowns and also had three receptions for 19 yards in the air. Uh, this is just everything we would imagine, everything that Arthur Smith wants in his team um, from an actual fantasy perspective. I mean, hey, I'm expecting that Bijan and Algier are both going to continue to have strong games. Like Algier could be one of the biggest steals of the drafts. Bijan owners are probably going to get frustrated with some vultures, but overall, I think they're both going to eat this year. Um, Algier, yeah, maybe just a fantastic steal if he continues to get usage. I don't, I mean, I think they're both just going to play a major role going forward. What will be interesting is does Algier continue to have a bit more of the goal line work as he is a bigger back? We'll see. I'm not sure. Um, in the air. Holy crap, Kyle Pitts, Drake London combined for four targets. Um, yes, there will be games that the Falcons are behind, even though last year when they were behind, they still ran a ton. Um, you're just never going to be able to trust starting either Kyle Pitts or Drake London. It's going to be frustrating. It's going to be ugly if Arthur Smith has his way. Um, I don't know. Take your medicine now, I think. Carolina Panthers. All right, Sanders and Chuba shared that backfield, uh, expecting that two to one ratio that we saw on the ground and in the air going forward. It's not like either of them had like it's not like Chuba had a pass catching role or Miles Sanders caught them all. Uh, in general, it really was just kind of a two to one split throughout. So I expect that to continue the same. Um, other than that, I mean, hey, when you have Hayden Hurst leading your team in yards, receiving yards with forty one, targets with seven, and touchdowns with one. Um, that's not the most exciting. Um, DJ Shark obviously did not play. Maybe he opens up the offense a little just with his speed and his deep game. Um, 
aspects, but overall, there's not going to be much fantasy excitement from this team if we continue to see this type of balance among the offense. Uh, going over to another rookie quarterback, let's go to the Colts. Um, I mean, hey, I was extremely impressed what Shane Steichen was able to do, designing a fantastic scheme for Anthony Richardson to succeed here. Um, if we look at, hey, what is passer doing? They were very low average at the target. They were low risk passes. They were almost all to the right side of the field. That's going to be an interesting thing to watch. Is that uh, Was that more a defensive scheme thing? Can Anthony Richardson not throw well to his left? Uh, our defense is going to be able to keep, you know, pick up on this and adjust. I don't know. It'll be interesting. Uh, but if you have that, if you see that chart around Twitter, go look at it. Pretty crazy. Uh, but yeah, I think overall, Anthony Richardson is going to be better than most people expected and likely sooner. And it's not that he's just magically gotten that much better, but when you actually have a very smart coach and Shane Sykin who's designing the designing it for his strengths, protecting against his weaknesses, that's what we love to see. And uh, Michael Pittman, true alpha in this offense, eight for 97 and one touchdown on 11 targets. This high-paced offense works well for him. Um, and uh, I think we're going to continue to see, Like, I think he's going to be a strong start and when he goes off, you're going to want to have Anthony Richardson tied to him because um, those are just going to be a strong combo. If Anthony Richardson is actually able to put enough in the air for Anth for Michael Pittman to have a good game like this, then Anthony Richardson is also, you know, we know he's going to get it on the ground. He got that rush touch on this week. Um, so it's going to be a good combo. Jaguars, Calvin Ridley. Um, I mean, Calvin Ridley might be him. Like eight for 101 on one on 11 targets. Um Came back. What we saw in preseason was the same thing we saw in week one. Uh, very, very impressive. Behind him, it's pretty interesting. Only three wide receivers actually saw targets in this game. Christian Kirk and Zay Jones being the other two. So that's a positive for both of them. But, and Zay Jones had a few more targets, got his touchdown. If you look at Christian Kirk, though, he went one for one catch, nine yards on three targets. That's tough. But because we only saw three wide receivers get targets, I do think that might just be, um, I don't want to say an outlier, but we're going to see some movement. We're going to see some ups and downs for the other wide receivers. I do believe that Calvin Ridley will continue to stay the alpha in that offense. But I think depending on the game, depending on just you know randomness, Zay Jones and Christian Kirk will also have some great games, but they're also both going to have some games like we saw with Christian Kirk where they're just kind of, where they just kind of disappear on the ground. Bigsby had a role. He had a goal, goal line touchdown, but this offense is strong enough for Travis Etienne to still be a solid fantasy play. We also saw him getting good usage in the passing game this week as well. So uh, if you were drafting him, I think, yeah, he had five targets um on the day which that was the you know, we saw it for him in clemson um we didn't see it early on in his nfl career but if he can actually get that pass down work maybe it's okay if he gives up the high value touches of goal line work to bigsby um still an explosive player Steelers, as i mentioned as i teased earlier they had the highest passing rate above expectation on the day or you know for the week so far now Probably had to do with going against San Francisco. They could not run at all against. They were completely overmatched by that San Francisco defense. They had zero ability to run the ball um, and put a ton of that, that put a ton of pressure on Pickett to convert on the long to go downs. I do think Pittsburgh will have better games ahead when they're not playing against the league's best defense. And uh, from a spreading the ball, we saw Pickett really spreading it among all of his catch, pass catchers. Um, 
I'm not going to, I'm not going to focus too much. I'm not going to make too many conclusions right now on what this is going to look like going forward from a pass catching standpoint, uh, because they pass a ton, they spread it out. Um, so we'll see. Friar Muth definitely felt like a red zone target, got the one touchdown, had another look as well. Um, so that's a positive from him. Uh, and I'm calling it now, but, uh, We'll go to the, we'll go to the 49ers now, but uh, 49ers are my pick for the Super Bowl champions this year. I think that is just such a well well run team. And uh, CMC he had elite usage in a game that we had expected to actually rest him late. Um, so for any of the uh, hey you know how managing workload aspects, this showed that maybe not. Like hey, if CMC is going to continue to get this usage even in games where they're up substantially and never really in jeopardy. Um, yeah, he, he's going to be an absolute beast as we expected. Brandon Ayuk was a wow, just delight. He was extremely efficient. He went eight for 129 yards on in two, on two touch four two touchdowns on eight targets, catching all eight of his balls. Um, I think we're going to see some spike weeks across Ayuk, across Debo, across George Kittle, but Ayuk definitely looked really good this week. Um, so Exciting team there. Defense, probably top defense in the league. And offense just looks really, really, really good. Brock Purdy, um, last year was not – I do not believe last year was a fluke. This this game helped kind of reconfirm that. All right, let's go to the Commanders. That Commanders-Cardinals game was so ugly. Commanders only won by four. It's probably not great for them against such a bad Cardinals team. Sam Howell struggled against a weak de- defense. Ended up salvaging the day in fantasy with that rushing TD and looked a little better as the game went on. But uh, when you look at who he's, you know, his uh, targets and stuff, his, um, you know, his passing, Logan Thomas led the team in targets going four for 43, no touchdowns, eight targets. Ugh, rough, rough, rough. Yes, Tara McLaurin was coming off of the injury, maybe with a week of practice and uh, a little more kind of, you know, maybe that opens the field a little for them. We'll see. Brian Robinson was the 1A to start the game, and then Gibson ended up fumbling in the red zone, gave Brian Robinson even more usage. We'll see how if Gibson stays in the doghouse where you know he's had fumbling issues in the past, um, but definitely positive for Brian Robinson. Um, I think I'm a little concerned with starting any of the pass catchers at this point, but uh, I'll give another week because, as I said, Terry McLaurin has been hurt, has not been practicing much. Hopefully that opens it up a bit for them, but you should have been able to do more against this Cardinal secondary. Cardinals, just ugly. Not going to spend much time. Same thing here. Zach Ertz led the team. Oh my God. 10 targets going six for 21. What a just atrocious stat line. I'm not able to trust anything in this offense um, until Kyler is back. Uh, James Conner, I think he had 19 carries for 70 yards. Like just, just nothing to write home about. Um, this, this was ugly. This team is just going to continue to be ugly until Kyler is back. Opposite of ugly, Packers. Wow. Key here for the Packers was that offensive line. They were the number one PFF graded O-line in the preseason. They really showed it again today, giving up only one sack and three QB hits. Uh, Jordan Love looked great. He went uh, through for 245 and three touchdowns. And most importantly, on the third downs, he was fantastic. Uh, Was able to convert in big spots. And uh, I think a lot of it has to do with that offensive line, giving him the time to really process. But also, he looked pretty good. So, uh do they have their franchise QB here? I think Packers fans think so. Aaron Jones also was great, but need to monitor this potential hammy injury that he got after getting a 35-yard touchdown. Uh, if he is out, A.J. Dillon 
has the opportunity to become a workhorse. We know he's used in the passing game. We know he's he he's used heavily in the run game. So that's something for us to keep an eye on. Christian Watson was week to week with the hammy injury himself. Uh, Romeo Dobbs scored two touchdowns in his place. Uh, didn't get much from Jaden Reed. I think uh, th- this passing game will look a little it looked great as well. But this passing game, I think a little a little more superstarish, more of the concentrated targets when Christian Watson is back and Jaden Reed increases his role. Uh, forward the other side, the Bears. Uh, this is the team that's going to be hard to trust anyone from fantasy other than Justin Fields. I think what's noteworthy here from a backfield, uh, Khalil Herbert, Deonta Foreman, and Roshan Johnson all played. And uh, Roshan, though, majority of his came in garbage time where they were substantially behind. So I don't want to lean too much into his usage here. I do think this is still primarily Khalil Herbert and Deonta Foreman's backfield. But what really surprised me is the three of them combined for 15 targets. 15 targets from Justin Fields. That is not something we are used to. If these running backs are actually going to be getting pass catches, uh, you know, receptions, I mean, that's a nice boom for them. But uh, again, with all three of them, it's it's going to be hard to trust unless like we really do see going forward. Roshan's not a part of it. It is those two. I don't know. Something to monitor. Um, from, the, I mean, a pass catcher standpoint, 10 different people had a target. DJ Moore only had two targets. Um, Mooney had a good game, but again, I'm not going to be able to trust pass catchers in this offense. I, um, for a little bit, I think. Okay. Dolphins just, wow. Absolutely explosive. Mike McDaniel really playing to his strength, his team's strengths very well with this. Uh, we've heard a lot of talk this year about leaning more on that run game, but I guess when, you know, you lose Jeff Wilson to the IR for four weeks, uh, Devin A. Chain's a healthy scratch, he Mostert, uh, and, um, you know, Raheem Mostert was the only of those kind of core three that was actually starting this week. And Ahmed was the other that um, was the kind of fill in. It didn't use much of the rushing game and then it need to. Tyreek just absolutely goes off for 11, 215, 215 yards and two touchdowns. He set his goal for the, for the season was to hit 2000 receiving yards. He is well on that pass path. Um, his actual target share, I think was 34% of this game, 32% in previous year. That wasn't actually that crazy. It was just they threw so much. Um, if he's going to continue to stay around that 30, you know, 32% target share, which we expect, the challenge for Waddle is are they going to continue to spread the ball around as much as they did? Because if so, Jalen Waddle, with having a low double digit target percentage, is not going to be great for his games. Uh, Durham Smythe, I mean, I think Durham Smythe, off the top of my head, I think it was seven targets for him. Um, yeah, Smythe had seven targets. So something to monitor. For the Jalen Waddle situation, I think most importantly, Tyreek is the true alpha in this offense. Um, going to have a huge year as long as he and Tua stay healthy. Other side for the Chargers, offense looked really good, especially that run game. It kept them in the game despite their defense being manhandled. Their running game averaged 5.9 yards per carry, and it was not just Eckler. Eckler, yes, had 16 rushes for 117 yards and a touchdown, also 4 for 47 in the air. But then you got Joshua Kelly, had 16 rushes for 91 yards and a touchdown. Same amount of rushes as Austin Eckler. Um, I think Josh Kelly, like I think he's going to have some standalone flex value. And if Austin Eckler ever were to get hurt, Kelly becomes a top 10 running back. Um, he's not, you know, he's, he's got talent and he has the trust of that offense in both the rushing and the passing game. And, and we didn't see the passing game usage from here, but we have seen it in past years. So I expect that to increase. Uh, for the pass catchers, I think there's better days ahead from a TD regression standpoint. Um, 
all the you know touchdowns came on the ground this week for the Chargers. Quentin Johnston, even with Mike Allen battling an injury and being out for a little of the game, did not do much. We'll see how slowly they work him further. And uh, moving on to the Raiders, um, for me, I think the most interesting here was that Jacoby Myers and Devontae Adams accounted for 19 of Garoppolo's 26 pass attempts. That's 73% for the two of them. Um, Jacobs, Josh Jacobs had three. The only He was the only other player to actually have more than one target, and Hunter Renfro had zero. Um, now, this isn't one of the top offenses, but if you have that highly concentrated of an offense, it can still be very lucrative, very valuable for fantasy, so we'll continue to watch. But uh, all positive signs for Jacoby Myers and Devontae Adams. Broncos on the other side. Um, hard to gather too much here. Jerry Judy was out. Greg Dulcich got hurt pretty early on. Really spread the ball. 11 players had a, tar- had a target. Um, so I'm not going to make too many conclusions here from a receptions from a receiving game wise because of those injuries, uh, from a backfield, Javante and Samaje both looked pretty good with combined 30% target share and all of the running back touches. Um, I'd say both of these running backs should consider flex plays or strong contingency upside. If either went down going forward, Eagles, this was an ugly weather game. Eagles basically did what they needed to win the game, but uh, got up early. Game got pretty close, though. Most shocking you know, revelation here was Kenneth Gainwell. Um, Rashad Penny was a healthy scratch. DeAndre Swift only had one carry, two, two targets. Gainwell looked to be that primary running back, the starting running back, and uh, he might be their guy. He had 14 carries, four targets. Not too much in this game. As I said, it was an ugly game, but if you're looking at from an actual percentage wise from a usage wise um he's could be the number one um fantasy pickup for waivers if he's available maybe it's justice hill i'm not sure um i gotta look a little more into that but like kenneth gainwell if you were drafting him in best ball you're very very happy patriots on the other side got the loss but looked pretty decent at it and so Devonte parker was out and kendrick Bourne really impressed going six for six six for 64 yards two touchdowns on 11 targets they even started playing him above Juju in the second half. Um, interesting to see if this you know continues, but he actually looked really good. Um, the other pass catcher was Hunter Henry was really the chain mover, saw the red zone target, went five for 56 yards and a touchdown on six targets. We've seen that. We, we were hearing that in preseason that he was Mac Jones's favorite target. And uh, when they needed the you know, when they needed the first down, he was the guy being looked at. In the backfield, uh Ramondre. Drafters are not going to love this. Zeke had seven targets to Ramondre six. Zeke was used early, often. Um, yeah, I think this is going to be a pretty clear two-headed backfield. Uh, and given how difficult their schedule is going forward, they remember they have the hardest schedule in the league. It's going to be a rough season uh, for them. Maybe you can pick out some fantasy goodness here and there, but uh, I'm, I'd be a little concerned um, to, to, to figure out what is predictive there outside of maybe Hunter Henry. Okay. For the Rams, um, I mean, just a big wow. Like Stafford definitely learned the young guys' names. You've got Puka going 10 for 119 yards and a touchdown on 15 targets. You've got Tutu going six for 119 yards on eight targets. Um, Yeah. Cooper Cup, who? I don't know. Maybe if Cooper Cup is going to actually get healthy, he's going to be a huge boom to this offense. And, uh, you know, if this team is actually competitive, maybe there's a better chance that Cooper Cup is willing to come back and come back sooner. Um, I think either Seattle secondary is going to be an absolute mess or this team may actually be a bit fun. I think it's the latter. 
I mean, Matthew Stafford looked healthy back there. Um, I, I don't know. It was very, very interesting. Love to see it from a Puka and Tutu standpoint. And then from a backfield, uh, this was a clear two-man backfield, like a split between Kyron Williams going 15 carries, 52 yards, and nine. Uh, uh, 15 carries, 52 yards, and a touchdown, and then got two targets. And then Akers, um, actually coming at two, two touchdowns, I think. That's right, yeah. And then Akers had 22 carries, 29 yards, and a touchdown. Um, yeah, that Kyron Williams usage, he was out there early, had a lot of the work. I think that's going to continue. Seahawks, this is a bit of a weird game for them. They had zero turnovers. They had zero sacks against them, and they just couldn't move the chains. No one on their team had five targets. They did have a couple injuries early on to their offensive linemen that maybe kind of um, had an impact here. But again, like it was just kind of a, a stall. Like they just couldn't move the chains. And uh, Charbonnet only had three touches in the day. We'll expect that to rise a bit. As mentioned, no one on that offense had more than five targets. I'm going to throw this game out a little bit because it just it just felt like a really weird game. But we'll see what they're able to do in week two at Detroit. All right, two more games, and we'll wrap this up. Uh, we're not, I mean, two more teams at the late game. The Cowboys. That defense looked fan absolute fantastic they got seven sacks 12 qb hits two interceptions they forced five fumbles only recovered one but forced five fumbles yes it was a rainy game but that defense looked amazing offense wasn't really tested after getting just great field position all game and two defensive um and do two defensive touchdowns pollard and lamb looked at the two offensive core weapons as we expect they looked good um yeah big takeaway here just that defense looked fantastic especially on the front line um, and then Giants, uh, just yeah, big, big yuck. That offensive line was horrible. Daniel Jones had no time back there. As I mentioned, they gave up those seven sacks. We can't really evaluate much else. This team is just going to struggle against any team with a strong defensive line. Um, maybe the Cowboys are just an outlier there and they're going to do and the Giants to do fine against other teams. We'll see. Uh, I'm definitely a little concerned about my Daniel Jones backs. Okay. That is a lot tonight. We still have the Buffalo Bills, New York Jets game, but um, that is all we have for this one. A bit longer than normal, but uh, there was just so much information in week one. Going forward, I'll try to cut it down a bit, but I at least wanted to get like all those thoughts for the teams because I think in week one, this is where we can really kind of react and start figuring out where there is edge. Like, hey, if you're in drafting right now, there is already a week two best ball contest. It's full season best ball, just minus that first week. Uh, lots, you know, I've already thrown a couple in there. I'll probably be doing more as we go forward, but I mean, Hey, you can, you know, you know where there's edge JK Dobbins still gets drafted auto drafted. Someone forgets because he's in the ADP justice Hill. And those guys aren't nearly high enough. The Rams pass catchers, not nearly high enough. And then you get some people who are going to overdraft. Cause like, Oh, I really need to get Puka. So I'm going to take Puka in the sixth round. So my advice is if you really want a guy, you see what his ADP is, be willing to go maybe two rounds above. Yes, sometimes you're going to get sniped and you're going to miss out on him, but other times you will get him and you're going to get substantially more value than what others would. So um, best of luck out there in the streets. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed this. If you have, would appreciate if you could give this, a, give this a rating, give this a review. Really helps kind of, hey, beat those algorithms, get this pumping so more people see it. I appreciate you. Thank you very much. It is this was a good one. I will be back on Thursday where we'll start looking ahead. Move past last week. Let's go. Let's go. We are moving forward. We've got lots of bright days ahead of us. And uh, I will see you all later. Thanks so much.